This is the Baywell Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we are with Reed Dent as he launches a series on the Psalms. Can't wait. Here we are. The wait is over, Marty. Blast off. It's been launched. <laughs> oh, man. What are we going to talk about with the Psalms? Why have I been drug- Why have I been drugged into the Psalms? Who hunts that? Actually, this is my first question, so we can just jump right into it. Um, Marty, why do you hate the Psalms? <laughs> If I remember correctly, I know it was a few years ago, but in the earlier session, uh-huh. uh, whichever yeah. one you guys covered the writings, yep. didn't you say that you don't like the Psalms? And furthermore, in your book, Asking Better Questions of the Bible, now available through fine booksellers everywhere, Nav Press, uh, <laughs> isn't it true that you wrote a total of three paragraphs on the Psalms? <laughs> This is becoming an interrogation. Isn't it true? Isn't it true is it, you only wrote three? It, <laughs> it is true. It is true. It is. it is true. And I this is not. Like we all have our parts of the Bible that are if we have our favorite parts of the Bible, it only stands to reason that we have our least favorite parts of the Bible. And while this isn't the book that I struggle with the most, that's reserved for Joshua. Indeed. This is the genre that I have the hardest time connecting with. And to be honest, I don't know why. I would imagine that it's because of my fundamentalist evangelical upbringing that taught me that exegesis was king. And I just have a hard time exegeting. Like when it comes to the Bible, I want to exegete. Because here's the thing. I love music. Like I love to mm-hmm. just, I love art. Questionable music taste, but continue. All right. All right. Yes. But I love music nonetheless. I loved, uh, especially when I was younger. Uh, and, and the same is true today. Man, did I get emotionally connected to a good song. I'm like everybody else. I'm just like everybody. Y'all have that song that like will just, whether it's bring tears to your eyes or make you just stop and the nostalgia or what, like I love music. I do. I love, and for whatever reason, I have a hard time bridging the gap to that genre leap of mm. of psalms. So I think that's why I just uh, well give me the prophets, I mean, give me Paul, <laughs> give me something other than a song. But I I, I only mean that. I'm I'm half kidding as I say that because uh, I've come to really appreciate the. I mean, obviously Jesus loved the psalms, one of his most quoted books that he has, but. Yeah, they definitely are a different thing. Uh, they definitely are a different thing. Also, when you're talking about music, I was flashing back to my 12 year old self, 13 year old self, 1996 or seven. My brother got a disc man and I would steal it from him and retreat into my bunk bed and just listen to Free at Last by DC Talk oh, on repeat. Yeah. That album just Woo. over and over. It's one of their best albums. Over. Absolutely. For sure. Uh, So definitely. I mean, I think a lot of people have a very uh, strong connection to music. I mean, there's like the the language of the Psalms is not exactly DC talk, if you know what I mean. Like it's (laughs) (laughs) well said. (laughs) Thank you. That's what I'm here for. It's why you brought me on. I believe they have a couple of songs where they are directly using a psalm for their lyrics, right? Oh, I'm, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, Christian music the world round is like got a nice little font here. If they're ever like struggling for lyrics, they just 
pull out a psalm and put it to music, and now you've got something to sing on Sunday morning, which I don't criticize that. I'm not, I'm not you know, <laughs> knocking that. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah lot, lots of artists, I think, do that. Oh, yeah, I think I share a lot of Marty's thoughts on that. Um, much easier for me to get connected emotionally to a song than the psalms. And I think it's the same like urge when I sit down with my Bible, no matter what my posture is going into it, once I open it, I'm like, I'm studying scripture. And I was thinking about your idea of dissecting a swallow. And here we are again, basically doing the same thing. Can't help it. <laughs> like this, the Psalms are meant more to be experienced than they are to be studied. And I, it's so Which is why I have to bring them to the podcast. Otherwise, it's just going to be Isaiah and, you know, Revelation and Genesis all day long. I'm so glad you're here, Reed. We would just miss entire sections of the Bible without you. I love it. There is a live question in my mind that is, like, how seriously should we be doing theology out of Psalms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got any thoughts on that? I mean... We have talked about that before. Oh, yeah? Well, yeah, we've talked about uh, particularly the doctrine part of theology, like forming doctrine based off of, you know, our typical Western theological exercise of yeah. forming doctrine off of proof texting. Like the Psalm, like in sin, I was conceived is probably a really lousy proof text for the depravity. Whoa, whoa don't steal my thunder. Now we're going to get there. Okay. Uh, let me, let me go somewhere else. Um, but I do think like when you say theology, like to even view theology as bigger than just doctrine or theology as bigger than, than even systematic theology, but just theology, the study of God, that, um, experience of God, explained, expressed. Well, now we're probably hitting on probably more the categories that the psalm belongs in when it comes to theology. I, I would not say it's should be disconnected from theology, right. maybe just disconnected from certain ways of doing theology. I think uh, the psalms can be as much anthropology as theology. Uh, there's, you know, there's a lot to mine in terms of the author's experience, because the Psalms are so, you know, personal. Uh, there's a lot of I and me and my kind of language and just getting into whatever the space is or letting that like speak for the space that we're already in, I think can help us understand a lot about our own selves. Uh, but I'm also getting a little bit ahead of myself there. I think I'm more of a, I'm like a Proverbs Ecclesiastes kind of guy. Uh, that's my, if, if I'm thinking about the writings or what some called the wisdom literature, I'm thinking about those books. Like when I was in high school, one of my banner verses was from Proverbs. I can't even actually remember the reference at this point, but there's this line that just says that a fool gives full vent to his anger. Uh, and I was like, yeah, so I got to stay poised. I got to stay <laughs> rational, um, ask my wife about this in the way that I fight when we get into arguments and I like retreat into the recesses of my own brain and I'll just sit in silence, like mentally chessing out all of these different moves because I don't want to give full vent to my anger because that would make you foolish. And so there was, I don't know, for me, I'm, and I'm just kind of naturally this way, but that proclivity for the Psalms and Ecclesiastes definitely encouraged it where it was like, keep the emotion down, be rational, 
Uh, and so then when I would read in Psalms, like I, you would go from Proverbs, a fool gives full vent to his anger to, <laughs> I'll just go straight for like the, the most easy low hanging fruit example. If you go to Psalm 137 and it talks about happy are they who take the babies and throw them against the rocks. I was like, Whoa, that, that sounds like giving full vent to your anger. <laughs> Is this a good idea? And so, <laughs> So in some ways, the Psalms just made me kind of, I don't know, uncomfortable or else they just didn't really resonate because I don't know, I don't get in. I don't at the time. I didn't naturally just get on board with all the like, let's pour our hearts out and sing and dance and cry and scream kind of stuff because I was, you know, I was being I was being wise, Marty, in the way that the Proverbs taught me to be wise. Well, there was a day. I appreciate knowing that there was a day. Back then, there was there was back then, and then uh, and so like this is a slight autobiography here. I got to college and started reading some like apologetics and stuff like that, and it really just kept stoking this intellectual, rational, proverbial kind of way of being for me. And then I realized that I was being kind of I was becoming kind of a jerk, <laughs> where it was like, well, I know stuff. And uh, one of the ways out of that for me, like disconnecting, I was I was pretty disconnected from the heart is another way I would say it. And it was just a life of the mind. I was a little bit becoming like a brain in a jar. And uh, so then I started reading some poetry. And I know how you feel about that, Marty. And Were you reading it out loud I'm, to others? Not at this point. Not yet. <sighs> Man, was I was just reading day. it to myself. And then, uh, and I, and it started to reconnect for me uh some of the heart and i started to understand poetry a little bit better and here's the thing uh the psalms they are poetry like the entire thing top to bottom pretty much except for those few you know kind of set up verses where it's giving instructions for how it's supposed to be used like it's pretty much all verse and song and poetry uh and so uh, that's that's my next question for for both of you brent i'm going to direct it to you first uh what's what's your take on poetry what's your experience with poetry what do you think about it? Oh, it's not good. Um, <laughs> well, okay. I did. Okay. So here I found your, I found your proverb. It's Proverbs 29, 11. There it is. So let me, let me read this to you and let me uh, hear what you think it feels like mm. in maybe a slightly different rendering than what you remember. Okay. So in the NIV, it says fools give full vent to their rage. Mm-hmm. But the wise bring calm in the end. In the yeah, I mean, so what I hear there is in the end. That's like the qualifying thing there. I though at the time was like, no, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be even better than that. I'm gonna be calm all the time. Watch, <laughs> watch, watch me never get mad. Okay, so the net feels a little more like that. Mm. A fool lets fly with all his temper, but a wise person keeps it back. Keeps it back. Yeah. See, that was more my speed. Like, ah, just. Just keep it down. I'm going to look up. I got Alter here with me. I'm going to see how he renders it. If we look at the King James, it says, A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. Wow. And King James is not exactly where I would go, necessarily. But New King James, at least, I think. Because I've always felt like, in English, poetry originated with Shakespeare. Like, I don't think that's true, but like, that's, that's where my mind, that's the default position my mind goes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the King James feels like, oh, that must be the right time. But as I was preparing for this series, um, 
apparently the the first like academic study and consideration of the Psalms wasn't even till seven, the 1750s. Mm. And so I don't know, like when Tyndale was first translating the Bible into English, what was he, like, what did he have in mind as he was going, like, did he know anything about poetry? I don't even know. Robert Alter talks about this and he says, uh, and I think this is in the art of biblical poetry or I could be remembering it just from introductions to different books in his uh, translation and commentary. But he's like, yeah, the the King James had an excellent grasp of English and a terrible grasp of Hebrew. And modern translations seem to have flipped that where they have an excellent grasp of the Hebrew, but a terrible grasp of English. Yes. How, and that's where his kind of, I think a lot of his project comes from is how do I render this in a way that is true, not just in terms of vocabulary, lexicon, but also like syntax and rhythm and meter so that we have a sense of the poetry of it going, you know, into the English, but that's still true to the Hebrew, which I'm sure is a difficult task. And by the way, on that note, Proverbs 29, 11 in Robert Alter's translation is the fool gives vent to his whole spirit, but the wise man quells it. Yeah. Marty and I were talking about this, um, in a portion of Isaiah and I can't remember the chapter, but it was like the way they translate it was like a little here, a little there, a little of this, a little of that. And it was this Hebrew wordplay that was supposed to be like nonsensical. And the NET kind of got out a little better. Uh, Alter's translation of it was, I, I mean, I, I think totally nonsensical, which is the point. And so if we think of the Psalms as something to be experienced, like how important is accurate translation in the Psalms? Like, do we need to throw out our entire translation philosophy when we get to this book and say, you know what? That might not be quite the word, but we're going to try to understand and even understanding the concepts, like sometimes it's a juxtaposition of like something here and then something else completely unrelated or way more different than you would expect, at least mm-hmm. in the next line. Mm-hmm. And so how do you how do you capture that in English in a way? And also my English idea of poetry is all about like rhyme and you don't get that in the Psalms. So it's like, it never really feels like poetry to me, even though it's set the way it is in the text. And, you know, there's, there's lines that go back and forth and Mm -hmm. it just never quite feels not that I really understand or enjoy poetry that much anyway, Mm -hmm. but reading in English, it doesn't feel like poetry. And I'm, I don't even know if I, if I could read Hebrew, would it even feel like poetry then? Because I don't understand what poetry is supposed to be like. Uh, to people 3,000 years ago. Yeah, and I don't think we... I'm not an expert on this. For those who are interested in like the technicalities of this, this is like a lot... Everything that Robert Alter has done is like basically circling around these kinds of questions. He wrote another book. Uh, so he's got the, the Art of Biblical Poetry, The Art of Biblical Narrative. He wrote another one as like a capstone once he finished his 25-year-long translation project that is just called The Art of Bible Translation, where he talks about the the challenges of Bible translation just head on for 150 pages or whatever. Um, and so I would recommend reading any of those things for people who are really interested in the, the mechanics, the technicalities of, you know, moving it from one language to another and preserving that sense of poetry. I think the, to me, the interesting question is even if the mechanics are different, 
Um, the conventions is another word for it. The conventions of Hebrew poetry are different than Shakespeare uh, or different than anybody you might read now, as Shakespeare is very different from anybody that you read now. Is there like a, a spirit of poetry or a reason for it that is common, you know, from people across the ages uh, and they're using different Again, technical kinds of ways of bringing conventions and forms and stuff, but this fundamentally, this language that is not prose, this language that is not discursive, it's not propositional, um, it is evocative and expressive and poetic. And so if that is what's true about Hebrew poetry as well as English poetry and other kinds of poetry... What does that mean? Like if it's meant to be more expressive or evocative, and I want to clarify a misconception because I think some people hear poetry and they think it's just flowery language or it's it's mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, just got a lot of extra colors added to it or something like that. Right. I don't I mean, having read some poetry. I'm not an expert on poetry, but I've read some. I think it's not really about just I think bad poetry is poetry that is just purely flowery decorative. I think. Good poetry is about taking words and using them in like surprising or new ways, putting words next to each other that don't normally go next to each other in order to, uh, it, I don't know, it's powerful. It, and it gives new ways of meaning and expression. There's a, there's a book uh, that I was reading out a little bit out of, uh, it's called Preaching in the Literary Forms of the Bible. By a guy named Thomas Long. He's written a few books about preaching. Uh, And he has a chapter about preaching the Psalms. And he's talking about poetry. And I'm just going to read a little quote here. Um, In it, he is referencing another, like a scholar of English named Lawrence Perrine, P-E-R-R-I-N-E. And he says, Thomas Long says this. He says, poetry, uh, Lawrence Perrine claimed, this is part of the quote, Poetry, Lawrence Perrine claimed, is more, quote, condensed and concentrated, has a, quote, higher voltage than other literary forms, and applies greater pressure per word. And I love that description because it's like, how can I take words and make them mean more? There are a lot of great poems that have very few words because they're putting greater pressure per word. And then uh, he goes on to say, poems change what we think and feel not by piling up facts we didn't know or by persuading us through arguments, but by making finely tuned adjustments at deep and critical places in our imagination. And so how do I use a certain word in order to make you think and feel differently about that concept than maybe even the way that it's normally kind of used? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Um, And I definitely feel like it I I definitely see that and sense that in English poetry that I would be more familiar with mm-hmm. and raises the question that if that's happening, I think Brent said this earlier, how much do we potentially lose? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no, there's no other way to do it. There's no way around that. In fact, even people that were like, I'm even thinking of L even people that are more, far more trained in Hebrew, the fluency that you would really need and the immersion you would need in Hebrew language and biblical Hebrew being significantly different enough mm-hmm. than modern Hebrew even, but to to really catch if that mechanic is similar in the Hebrew, like how, how you would, you would really need a certain level of, cause it's true. Like, oh, yeah. and, and I have you to thank for my exposure to poetry in the most recent 
handful of years or decade. I'm almost in poetry almost on a daily basis because of the things that you and your team have given me either as gifts or just exposed me to. And I have realized like the thing about poetry and the English, I would use the word strategy. Like there's a strategy behind those are strategically chosen words where I used to think in my youth, it's the rhyme, it's the, or even the meter, but really deep, good poetry. I I feel like I'm seeing as like that particular, I'm more enamored with why did they choose that word? Why did they choose that phrase? Why did they choose to do it that exact way? Cause there's gotta be a reason they like this one paragraph that took them months to craft all those choices were so right. And I think the closest I get when I think about the Hebrew is um, there was the intro to that one uh, episode of the chosen that we talked about Brent that had the, where, where it was David, there was an opening scene to the episode and it was David and Asaph was in there kind of doing one of his Psalms. And I could almost begin to picture, like I could almost begin to put myself in that moment of like, okay, this is art and there are words and there's poetry, but this be, this is being put to music. And the whole point of this is it's connecting. It's being written to connect with some human experience on some primitive and not primitive, but some like deep down in your bones level. Um, Cause it's not the content of the language. It's not the content of the words. It's how the whole thing's being packaged. And that's what my brain is thinking of as I hear you talk, read. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think that it is like uh, another way of saying, I think what you are saying is that it's not just there for like making a frame or a structure that feels poetic because words rhyme or because they have a sing songy thing to them. But it's actually about like the the significance of the word and kind of doing something fresh and new and surprising with that that makes you stop and go, oh, like I never, you know what I mean? And it, 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 yep. it evokes, it doesn't explain. It's not trying to explain everything to you. Um, which leads me to like, what does that mean for us as we're reading Psalms? Um, and I think it means two things. One, uh, at least probably more than two things. One, like even if we can't read Hebrew and we don't read Hebrew poetry, just read more poetry. A lot of the Bible actually comes to us in verse and works through poetic kinds of conventions. Uh, and so read more poetry. Mm-hmm. Don't just read Twitter and whatever news you read and sports and all that, but like expose yourself to something different. Um, I've been asked this question before of like, what should I be reading to be a better understander of the Bible? And I say, like, read things that aren't about the Bible and that aren't the Bible, like different forms, like poetry. Um, And the second thing, and that you've already kind of gotten at this earlier in the episode, Marty, um, but I think what it means is that we should exercise caution when we want to take a certain statement in the Psalms, any statement from the Psalms, and kind of absolutize it or make it like a um, like solid doctrinal kind of statement because right. it's not trying to work by explaining anything or by laying out something once and for all. It's evocative. It's expressive. Um, and so like uh, a couple of examples. So uh, and, and we're going to get to this actually in an episode we're going to do on Psalms 51 and 139. Um, but, you know, you have this uh Statement in Psalm 159, surely I was sinful at birth, 
sinful from the time my mother conceived me, or I was conceived in sin, as some translations render it, which is a very powerful thing to say, but then people take that and they absolutize it into some statement about, like, original sin. Uh, and they want to make like a full doctrine about like the mechanics of how sin, sin enters into a life or whatever, uh, that is off the mark because in a different Psalm in Psalm 139, so in 51, you've got, surely I was sinful from birth. And then in 139, you've got, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And right. so right. which one which one is it? And the point is it's 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 expressive of whatever the psalmist is going through at the moment. And a lot of these psalms, they really are coming from specific concrete life situations. Um some of there are some psalms that feel a little bit more like just reflective or like they're contemplating the nature of God or the nature of man. But even then, I would say that those are coming out of the particulars of experience, and it's not just a head-in-a-jar type thing. Right. So, uh, and, and I think we actually get more out of them when we are not trying to do the whole, like, how do I turn this into a doctrine on my church website kind of thing. But put these two things, these two different poetic expressions in conversation with each other, intention with each other and then see what that does for you as a reader as a hearer yeah absolutely what uh i I was thinking about the question of like what do we need the psalms for um what part do they play in our lives or could they play in our lives and i think that uh you know for for some of us it's like a it's a nice just daily rhythm like it becomes a prayer habit of like it just gives me some way to pray each day and it's nice that there are so many of them and you can bracket them out in lots of ways and i think that's really good i mean the psalms have long played a part in the lectionary in the church and in the different church calendar seasons um i have actually been so as a campus minister i work with college students And a lot of college students are coming to a place where, you know, they're, uh, they're out from the church they grew up in and they're out from their parents' homes and they're thinking through things and they're experiencing new things away from home. And I find that I go to the Psalms a lot for when people have questions, not because they give an answer to that question, but because it gives them a way to ask the question it gives them a way to voice like whatever that experience is because the psalms as we kind of already said they are very beautifully and powerfully very first person it is me and i and my and i think there is an invitation for us to take them and make it like make the i me myself when i am reading it uh it 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 has a way of if i'm feeling you know if i'm feeling confused, if I'm feeling isolated, if I'm feeling in doubt, um, the Psalms, there are Psalms that like, we got a Psalm for that, you know, you can take it and it can be a vocabulary for you, uh, that sometimes is difficult for people to express, or sometimes that they feel like maybe they don't even know if they should express like, man, I just feel like God is nowhere, but I'm afraid to say that because I was taught growing up that God is always there, you know? Uh, but there are Psalms that are, uh, you know, that, that speak to that place of, I feel like God is hidden from me. I mean, even so going back to our 
139 and 51 kind of dichotomy. You've got Psalm 139 that's like, uh, you know, you hem me in behind and before. Where can I go from your presence? But there are people who like their their actual experience is not that right, and their experience is uh, why? How long, O oh Lord? How long are you going to hide your face from me? Um, will you forget me forever? And so both of those things, I find the Psalms are really important uh, as not just affirming doctrines or not just uh, daily habits, but of giving, like I said, giving me language. Uh, for something that maybe I don't know how to speak right now, uh, but it lets me express that. Well, when you when you started and you asked the question, like, why do we even need the Psalms? And you explained it like that. I just kept thinking there's no, I'm like, not that the Psalms are the only place in all of scripture, but there, those places do not abound. I can't go to Paul's letter to the Philippians mm-hmm. and find language for my grief. Um, like I can't, I can't go to the book of Exodus I go to the wrong place in Isaiah and I'm just going to hear like God saying like my wrath is waiting for you. <laughs> like there's not too many places that you can go and really hear somebody in scripture saying that that is what I'm trying to put my finger on mm-hmm. in in some of these ways. And so that's why some of these things are so important, I think. Yeah, like if I if I read about uh Abraham and Isaac and the the story of like Abraham's call to sacrifice Isaac I have to do a lot of work um, on my own to like put myself in his, like the scripture is not laying out for me. What does Abraham feel about that? You know? Yeah. And even if so, that's Abraham's situation and not my situation. And that's a pretty unique situation to be in. Whereas the Psalms, they really do. Like there are, uh, there are some that are like more specific, but there are plenty that feel like they could fit a wide range of particular experiences, but that lead to this shared common experience of grief or uh, doubt or whatever. And here's here's what I want to emphasize, actually. Um, and it's not just the negative stuff that it gives us a voice for. It's not the so-called negative stuff. It's not just the the anger. It's not just the doubt or the confusion or the like anguish. It's not just that stuff. There are some of us who we kind of live there naturally. It's easy for us to speak that language of doubt and confusion. Um, like I, I remember, uh, when I was younger, um, and this is like the whole kind of Bema project, right? When I was younger, it wasn't so easy to like ask questions or to poke and prod at things. That wasn't always necessarily encouraged. And at that time, I think the Psalms were like a really shocking and necessary resource to say, yeah, I don't know where God is, you know, or I don't know exactly what God's like. Um, it's becoming more and more uh, not that Bema encourages or I think is lending itself towards cynicism at all, but cynicism is becoming more and more common, I think, where it's really easy to like fact check anything in 10 seconds. Um, it's really easy to hear anything like hopeful or positive and immediately like argue a counter case um, or to to hear even anything stated firmly as things are like this and be like, yeah, but, you know, and I, I don't think that that is bad. What I'm saying is I think that maybe we're in a place though now where what we need <laughs> when we have a, 
when inside of us is going on this kind of like, so I talked about mental chess matches before. When I have a mental chess match against trust, I hear something and automatically I'm skeptical or I want to figure out where the holes are. Maybe what I need is a psalm to come along and actually give me that language of like full-throated hope and praise and joy and belief. Like the, it's the Ted Lasso spirit. You guys watch Ted Lasso? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. So you know how everybody loves Ted Lasso? Apparently we do based on the way we responded to your question. I think 20 <laughs> years, I've, I've not talked to a single person who's like, yeah, Ted Lasso sucks. Like every person I talk to is like, this is so great. You got to watch it. I think 20 years ago, that probably wouldn't have been the case. Like, I think 20 years ago, probably people would have slammed Ted Lasso for being naive. Yep. Um, and now, though, it's like we're just it's like water in a desert, man. We're soaking it up because it is this spirit of uh, hope and joy, et cetera. And so I, I for me, I am seeing that the Psalms are starting like the language that I need them to give me. There, there are definitely places for like those Psalms of anguish and despair. But sometimes I feel what's harder for me is to just give myself fully into that spirit of like, wow, and praise and joy. And the Psalms can come and be that language for me. Yeah. And I don't want to, you have these two, I bolded it in the notes read, like people can't see, but you have these, and I want you to say these I don't want to steal these phrases from you. They're so good. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I, I need you to give words to these because this was like, I loved these phrases. What you, well, I'll, I'll do the bottom one because that's okay. I'm more enamored with the other one. You have in here access to uncomfortable emotional registers. Yes. Which I hear you saying, some of us gravitate towards the cynicism, some of us, mm-hmm. and the Psalms allow us to access, because I think you're totally right, like so spot on, in today, especially in the spiritual realms. We're so cynical. We're afraid to like promote anything. We're afraid to like say, oh yeah, like I find joy there because we know that so many people have been damaged or hurt or like the cynicism, but the psalm like the whole earth is full of his glory, right? Yeah, like sometimes right. we need to actually say that. And because on the other hand, you're like, uh, eh, is it? Like I could tell you about some bad things. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I know about that. But what the psalm gives me language for is the whole earth is full of his glory. Right. Absolutely. And and I feel like that, like before we even started talking about the cynicism, you have this other line in your notes, setting aside decorum for the sake of honesty. Yeah. And what I love about that is that that means uh, when I first saw that phrase, I was like, man, that's pure gold. But then after we talked about cynicism, I thought, Man, that's even that that hits even harder mm-hmm. because being honest sometimes is being honest about hope. Mm-hmm. But and I love the fact I love that phrase that the Psalms. One of the things that this art form does is it says we're not going to try to worry about the packaging and the gloss. Right. We're going to try to give ourselves a vehicle to truly be honest, setting aside decorum for the sake of honesty. I loved loved that phrase. Yeah, I think there's a line in Shakespeare. Speaking of Shakespeare, that uh, L would be able to tell me where this is from. Uh, And she'll probably make fun of me for not knowing because I studied English in college. (laughs) But there is this line that is uh, speak what we feel and not what we ought to say. Uh, And that's what I mean by setting aside decorum uh, for the sake of honesty. Not and I think there's because I think there's like a you could do the cool like hipster ironic thing of like using the Psalms of doubt and the Psalms of lament as like just kind of a way of being critical. Um, and and the, the idea is like, you're not, 
it's not for the sake of being flippant, right? Uh, like that's not why we're getting, that's not why we're expressing anger. We're not like, oh, look what I can say to God. You know, it's, it's not like that, but it's more like, well, this is what's really going on inside you. And none of us are fooled, right? Like God knows whatever is going on. He is deepest. He is closest to what is ever deepest inside you anyway. Uh, and so, oh, thank you, Brent. Brent says it was King Lear. Um, so yes, look at me, L. I know stuff. I'm smart. It was King Lear. I was trying to, I was trying to give you a little back channel. Uh, I know, but I'm not going to lie. There, I don't, I don't actually know it. I don't actually know. You helped me. I'm being honest. I'm, I'm speaking what is real. Let me, let me make you feel even better about yourself. I don't know that I've ever heard of King Lear. Oh, wow. It's, uh, it's great. Um, but this isn't about King Lear. This is about the Psalms. Uh, where, what was I saying there? Uh, yeah. So just it, it becoming a vehicle for you to say, oh, I, I remember what I was saying. God already knows what is going on. So like we shouldn't like fool ourselves or kid ourselves into thinking that if I like that somehow that's not what's really going on inside me. If I just say the polite thing, right. Or the nice thing. Right. That's what I mean. Like set it aside. The Psalms, uh, even it's, it's, it's like, in there as holy scripture, like it is invited, it is a part of the whole thing. God is saying, yeah, 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 I know, I know all this is going on. Why don't you go ahead and uh, plumb those depths too? realize what's going on inside you? Why don't you go ahead and say it? And that's what the Psalms uh, give us a vehicle to do. Yep. So the, the kind of last thing that I have in terms of introduction to the Psalms, and you talked about this uh, with Isaiah too, when you guys were introing Isaiah, and this is always something that's on the table, no matter what part of the Bible we're talking about, is like, what is the relationship between scholarship and then like a personal devotion, piety kind of way of reading the text? Um, and there is a tension here, I think, too. Uh, and maybe, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's more pronounced with the Psalms, because that material is already just so inherently personal, um, and it is so very uh, naturally devotional. Um, but I think there is like a danger of totally ignoring scholarship. Um, and there are even times where, you know, we, we use certain Psalms as doctrinal statements about God, not realizing even that the very thing we're saying is maybe like scholarship will tell you, oh, this, this whole line or this name for God is actually being borrowed from other like cultures, other ancient, uh, religious kinds of songs and hymns and stuff, uh, and so just being aware that there is scholarship out there um, that can illuminate, but also, on the other hand, as we've said before, scholarship can really just kind of kill things, too, can suck all of the life out of it. Uh, and, you know, how sad that that would be to happen to the Psalms. Um, but for people who are interested, uh, I think that there is some scholarship out there uh, that is maybe worth looking into. Um, we've talked about Walter Brueggemann before. He's got actually a bunch of books on the Psalms. Um, one in particular that I'm going to be referencing is called the message of the Psalms. Um, Robert Alter has done some good stuff on the Psalms in his, uh, different books that I've already mentioned. Um, let's see. I feel like there is, there are maybe some others. Um, I think the role of scholarship, though, like what it's kind of given to us is a few things um, that I'll just kind of gloss over here quickly. One is that uh, truly, apparently, well, I'm, an, I'm not an expert, so I'm not going to speak as one, but what I've read from other people uh, just about 
the Psalms actually do have a pretty strong relationship to other um, ancient Near Eastern religious songs and poems. Um, there's maybe more uh, conversation back and forth with those texts or more borrowing from them than is even uh, typical for other parts of the scriptures. The Psalms, uh, as far as I understand, are uh, they're older. They're on the earlier end of like biblical texts. They're coming from uh, like further back in time. Um, I think they we also learn about how the Psalms were maybe used in different uh, corporate Israelite practices, religious practices, temple practices, festivals, coronations, that kind of stuff. That is all, again, like, I don't think there's any, like, proof of anything. These are all kinds of theories about how they're used. Uh, Altars work on just the mechanics of Hebrew poetry. Um, All of those things are people that, things that people have written about extensively. If you're looking to get more into that, just don't let it kill the Psalms for you. What I find helpful... um, then the thing that I want to focus on when it comes to uh, scholarly contributions to our understanding of the Psalms is uh, ways that they have kind of seen frameworks within the book of Psalms or like ways of categorizing ways of relating some Psalms to other Psalms. Uh, And anytime, like I know that there are people who are going to hear this and they're like, Oh, Psalms go into different boxes. They go into different categories. And what they're going to want is like a spreadsheet. That's like, tell me which one this, and you want to like have it all parsed out really neatly. You can definitely go overkill with trying to box out all of these different Psalms and categorize them and label them all. I feel personally attacked, Reed. (laughs) Um, but I, I do think that it is helpful to uh, uh, take a look at the kind of um, various categories that some of the Psalms can go into to, uh, and to, to recognize that, like, if what you're needing, if what you're wanting is like a Psalm for a particular season of your life that you're going through, like that there are certain ones that will kind of speak to that season. And then there are other ones that maybe would be appropriate for a different season. Um, so... Here, here are the ways that I kind of see it. Um, and, and it's also always worth noting, whenever we look at a psalm, is it uh, meant to be taken individually, personally, or is it communal? And this is something that I think a lot of American people would just kind of ignore altogether. And, w- and I don't know that it's like particularly, I wouldn't call it dangerous, but like it could lead to some misunderstandings or misuses of the text if we just assume that anything it says is always about me. Because that's not the case. Like there are some Psalms that are meant to be uh, corporate. They're meant to be communal. There's like a we, us kind of aspect to it and not just an I, me. Um, but there are. there's this great book. Um, do you guys know Anne Lamott? Very much so, yeah. You do, you do, Okay. Did you so, just assume uh, that I did not know Anne Lamott? Well, she's not a Bible scholar, which is oh, why I assumed you didn't know now. her. Oh, come now. Roasted. Goodness. I feel like you've talked about uh, her on the podcast before, actually. Who, Marty? Probably. Probably did once. Somebody. Maybe twice. Somebody. I think it might, might have been somebody else. But I know who she is. One of my favorite authors and thinkers. Oh, okay. Great. Um, she wrote a cool book about the writing process called Bird by Bird. Um, and a few others as well. She's got this great book. It's a little book. It's called Help, Thanks, Wow. And it's just her reflections on the praying life. It's not about Psalms specifically, but I actually think that uh, that three-part kind of scheme is really helpful for looking at the Psalms uh, and that a lot of them will break down into mainly like one of these three types. You've got a lot of 
the help psalms, which is like a cry for help. So when you're hearing things like, I'm calling out or answer me, uh, there are a number of uh, psalms that just ask for sleep, like, let me sleep in peace, <laughs> or psalms that are talking about foes and enemies and all of that kind of stuff, and there are plenty of them. They break down into the the fancy word is supplication, which is, help me, I need something. Uh, I am in a position where I'm not going to make it if you don't come in here and do something about this. Um, there are also the psalms of help that are uh, kind of confessional where the psalmist is coming to grips with their own sort of uh, sin or wrongdoing, and there is a call for help uh, for God to restore them or to put them back on like a firm ground. Um, the cool thing, too, is a lot of these uh, songs of help are also recounting. There's like a, a, a remembering of times in the past when God has helped. And so there's this uh, picture that... It is a cycle. It's not like we ask God for help once and then everything gets fixed and now we're like good to go. But there, that all through life, there is this recurring, like we get into trouble in various ways and we are always like asking God to keep continuously saving us, keep making us whole. Um, it's a process. There are also songs of uh, thanks where we're just giving thanks for the blessings of God. Um, there, this is along those lines, but it's different enough. I think it's worth noting. It's called the, I call it the, or Anne's thing, the wow, the wow Psalms, which are Psalms where the psalmist is looking typically at either the created world or they're looking at the law or they're looking at, um, the history of Israel, uh, and what God has done in those histories. So the, the created world, the law, or history, and as they reflect on those things, what they are moved to is just this overwhelming, wow, God is incredible. God is good. Let us praise God because of what he has done in the law, in creation, in our history. On the other side of that, um, there is what I would just call no with an exclamation point. These are the Psalms of complaint of lament. Uh, these are the songs that are like, how long will you hide me or will you hide yourself forever? The refusal of acceptance. Like I refuse to accept this. Yes. Which always feels a little backwards. And I think of like, Jacob, I will not let you go until you bless me. Mm -hmm. That same spirit of mm -hmm. I, I refuse to just roll over and, and let this thing die. I, I, the no exclamation point. I like that. Yeah. And I think it's worth noting that whether, uh, whether what's being expressed is gratitude or praise or no complaint, uh, that God always is the central kind of object of the conversation. Um, there's no, this happened. And so like, I'm walking away forever. Uh, it is, how does this thing push me further and further in towards the God who is there, the God who is at the center? Uh, there's, there's like the, in, in the Psalms, there's not really a struggle with any sense of like nihilism or something, the suffering, the struggle, the anguish, all is still, uh, has to do with God. That's a good point. There's really no, yeah, I've never necessarily pulled that out, but I, yeah, it's a great point. There's no nihilism. Mm -hmm. In the Psalms, it always has a different context, a different reference point, different vantage. There are other Psalms uh, that like the word that I came up for them was just trust. Um, there, some of them are almost like self-talk. 
to <laughs> to encourage oneself to remember God and to keep trusting in God. Uh, it's they're not even necessarily like making a request to God or making some claim on God. It's just remember the Lord and trust an, or like an, I will trust. Um, there are a number of Psalms that are like that. On the other hand, from that, there are what I would call the Psalms of critique where it feels almost prophetic. It feels like something you might get out of uh, like Amos or Isaiah or something like that, where the psalmist is looking out at, I guess, society and saying, yeah, everything is like, we're screwed. Like there's nobody who is doing good. There is nobody who cares. Like everybody's corrupt. Evil is everywhere. Um, and so there's just this, this critique. And within that, there is uh, oftentimes like a, you know, there might be a plea to God to help, um, but it's not just like uh, full of that from top to bottom. It's really more this like observation. Um, and then along with that, too, there are uh, the and this is the last kind of, I guess, category that I would suggest is these songs of reflection or contemplation where you get the sense that like the sense is much more that the psalmist isn't looking at like uh, current events and critiquing that, but just reflecting on the nature of who God is or who man is. Like one of the classic ones is Psalm eight. That is when I, when I look at the heavens, when I consider the work of your hands, what is man that you should be mindful of him? Um, or uh, Psalms about this, this reflection on God, the heavens tell of God's glory, uh, who is this king of glory, that kind of stuff, um, contemplation. And I would note along there again what I said before, this is not just uh, – I, I don't think that it's really – what's the word? Um, uh, da, 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 when you're just – you're pontificating. That's the word, right? Um, that this is coming out of lived experience that the psalmist is absolutely convinced that God is involved in top to bottom. It's not just like lecturing or like doing an abstract exercise on the nature of God, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's easiest for me to see the leap to, to theology or not a leap at all. Like the contemplative songs are like songs Psalms, songs. Psalms. I've been using them interchangeably. I, I recognize that. I mean, that is our review word for it. That's right. But those are the, I mean, those are works of theology. And then you, you start to go back down that list, critique. These are, these are, these are theological statements. These are, they're worded differently. They're packaged differently. Right. But this really is theology. And you're right. It's rooted in some form of experience where I think a lot of our theology not that it really ultimately is done in a vacuum or can be done in a vacuum, but methodologically, we really do theology in the abstract for sure in our Western world. And yet the Psalms are so helpful in the, in the fact they're so concrete. I was just, I was, go ahead, go ahead. I, I see you had Brueggemann in here because I've heard, I've heard people talk about his, his categories before. And I noticed like um, people often use this stuff, orientation, disorientation. A lot of people will just say reorientation, but you've pointed out this new orientation, which I like because it, it has a different, it phrases that differently. Orientation, dis, like there are psalms of like that normal, there are psalms of the abnormal, the disorientation. Uh, and then there are psalms, he says, of the movement between all that stuff. And I have always loved the Brueggemann packaging of that in the, in relation to the Psalms. I'd kind of forgotten about that till 
I saw in your notes here. And uh, that is another great source for that. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. It's almost like these categories that I've been talking about are kind of like specific content within the Psalms. But then Brueggemann's, uh, his, it's almost like uh, I use the word modes or you're you're looking at broader like seasons of life kinds of states that you can be in experiences that you have and they're the psalms kind of arise arise out of these um the first one is orientation like you said and what that means is uh if you think about uh orienteering you know like using a map and a compass orientation like you've got your bearings you can uh like you're not lost uh, you know where you are. You know where you're headed. Um, everything is kind of right. Um, there is a sense of peace and security. Uh, these psalms that uh, there is a deep sense of well-being. And what that uh, results in often is like psalms of thanksgiving or psalms of like the wow, psalms of praise, uh, just for God's many blessings. And that is a place in life that we can uh, be in. And that doesn't like, I know some people are like, there's almost this weird backwards mentality of like, is something wrong if everything's okay? Uh, And I think these Psalms tell you it's, it's okay. It's okay to be okay. Um, And then there are Psalms of disorientation where, and again, this is not like, is God there in the abstract, but you go through some kind of terrible calamity. You go through some kind of loss or hurt uh, or alienation, isolation, basically things fall apart. And uh, what that evokes is these feelings of anger or resentment or sadness or even self-pity and uh, these are some of the psalms of, like, lament, obviously, would fit right here. Um, but there, there is this season, these seasons of life that we go through that are like that, and the psalms speak to that. And then the last one, um, which Brueggemann does call new orientation, and I think it's worth calling it new orientation, because it's not just, we're not just oscillating between these two, like, are things good or bad, uh, but something happens where joy breaks in like surprisingly almost, or there is like peace or the gifts of God like are given and recognized in a way that kind of surprises and shocks. And there is now this new orientation that is not just, well, everything's fine. Everything's good and peachy and keen. Um, But that knowing that things can be so bad having lived through disorientation uh, and now experiencing like my feet are set back on solid ground, uh, this new orientation that is, uh, I I think of if God is for us, who can be against us is a kind of classic new orientation kind of sentiment. I know that verse doesn't come from the Psalms, but that's the feeling like God has saved us. And now we are kind of, it's almost like, Uh, Derek was preaching about this one time and he talked about it like the Mario star. If you play the Mario games where like nothing can get me now because God has brought me back from the pit. That's a great way to phrase that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a thousand enemies are going to come at me and they're all going to fall. You know, that's the new orientation that it's, it's like, if you think of the movement towards disorientation, 
as being kind of emblematic of, and this is, uh, you can take this or leave this, but as being emblematic of crucifixion, like the movement into that kind of death and suffering, then the Psalms, the movement to new orientation is, is kind of emblematic of resurrection, where we've had a death and now we're back to life. And so what is like, what could possibly, you know, hurt me? Um, I was, I think about, uh, Lazarus, uh, when he was resurrected and then, um, there's a, there's a line a little bit later in the gospel that talks about how the Pharisees were plotting to kill Lazarus. And I just always laugh at that because like he already died once. Yeah. Do you think he's really going to, you think he's going to be worried about that kind of thing? Yeah. So that's the idea of new orientation is I see things differently now having experienced loss and being rescued by God. Um, and so that's that. And uh, all of that to say, uh, and this is again, this is also from, from Derek in one of his Psalm sermons, uh, what all of these different modes show us and all of these different kind of categories or topics within the Psalms show us, um, is that God is really the appropriate dialogue partner for every season of life. Uh, it doesn't just have to be when things are great. It doesn't just have to be when things are bad. Uh, but in every season, we are orienting our lives around God. We are thanking God for his provisions. We're crying out when we need rescue, all of that. Uh, and so that's what I'm hoping for the series, that we're going to get uh, some of each of that. Uh, we're going to be going through Psalms of that would be more like disorientation, Psalms that are more orientation, new orientation. And hopefully people will be able to walk away with something uh, that gets them engaged, not with just the text, but with the God who is there at the heart of the text. Well, I I can say for for one, well, I'll, I'll say two things. I'm not going to be able to read um, Psalms of new orientation without probably physically out loud going, do, 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 do. It's going to be great. Um, as it should be. As it should be. And my favorite of those categories today um, is the category of orientation, as it was explained. Because I feel like oftentimes people always, you know, it's very common for people to ask, you know, how are you doing? Not just in the greeting form, but like, I really want to know, like, wh- how are you doing right now? What are you going through? And man, one of the most frustrating times for that question, not in not in life, but to answer that question is when I feel like I'm in a season of orientation. Because mm. it's like, well, life's not falling apart. It's not new orientation. I don't really feel like I'm moving, mm-hmm. but I'm in a season of well-being. And I love the the fact that there are psalms that have a song to sing mm-hmm. during that season. I'm in, in a season of orientation. And that <laughs> yeah. that is okay. And it's not an indication that I'm supposed to be disoriented or newly oriented or moving between the two, but there are seasons where I have a song to sing. It's the summer season. It's like a nice summer evening. Yep. Uh, you're sitting on the porch, you got a glass of lemonade, uh, and you're just, everything is feeling pretty good, which is, you know, the, you've got your spring season where you've got your first nice day after a long, cold winter, and that's like new orientation, you know? And then you've got, obviously, when things plummet down to zero degrees and it's disorienting all over again. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, there are, there are summer seasons where everything is, is just going well. And what we have to do is sit back and enjoy it and say, thank you. I, for one, I'm glad that Reed had a glass of lemonade in that metaphor. What else would I have had, Marty? <laughs> Brent, get us out of here. I don't, I don't understand what's going on right now, but I do love lemonade. So I'm also <laughs> glad you had a glass of lemonade. <laughs> that was the most perfect Brent thing you could have said right there. <laughs> thank you.
<laughs> okay, well, good start to the series. Uh, we have many psalms to cover going forward, and, and we're going to use this orientation, disorientation, new orientation framework to look at them. We may come back at the end to look at a few others with other frameworks or no framework or whatever. But uh, yeah, many psalms yet to come. And also, just to, so people know, we're not doing every psalm. They're not going to be 150 episodes. Uh, it'll be uh, a handful, but it's it's not going to be all of them. Yeah, and, and this I think this framework probably doesn't necessarily work for all of them anyway. No, that's why you know we offered so many other ways to look at them. Like, and none none of these frameworks are going to completely cover all the psalms. So there's it's a really big messy Venn diagram. There's lots of overlap between them. And it's really like, it's not a crystal clear, tight classification for, I mean, very many of them at all. And it's more like, this is what kind of the sense of it is, but we've also got this going on and we've also got this going on, which again, like makes sense if you think about your life, because even in the midst of, uh, you know, really perfectly fine, great things, like there may also still be things that uh, we need help with, you know, or that we need rescuing from, or even when we are in like the pit uh, we can still say, you know, but I trust in God because I remember, you know, or I give thanks for this. And so it, that's that's just what it is to be a human being. Indeed. And looking at your list of resources here, I think there might be a couple that you didn't mention. Answering God. Yeah, Eugene Peterson. Um, it's a, it's just a, you know, Eugene. I love Eugene. Eugene is so great. Eugene is like, uh, he's as smart as the scholars are, but uh, he is a normal person and <laughs> has like lived life with normal people and writes that way. He writes as a pastor. Uh, he's incredible. So answering God is about praying and with the Psalms. Um, what else is in there? Praying the Psalms, praying the Psalms, Thomas Merton. Uh, if any of uh, our mystic fans or friends are out there, um, it's a small book. Um, just reflections on the Psalms and using the Psalms in the spiritual life. So all of that will be in the show notes at BamaDiscipleship.com as well as in your podcast app. Uh, go to the website to find groups, find upcoming events, all the up-to-date ways to get in touch with us are on the contact page. So thanks for joining us on the Bama Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.